Friends, if you have your Bible, I want you to go with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. And while you're turning there to Galatians 5, I want to tell you an encouraging true story of an event that took place in the life of a famous legendary evangelist, this evangelist whose name was Dwight L. Moody. Many of you have probably heard the name of D.L. Moody. Moody was a very godly evangelist. Uh, He was a man that the Lord used mightily to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Moody was originally from Chicago, but he ended up traveling the world preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was in the late, uh, mid to late 1800s. Now, if the truth was told, Moody was probably the number two most well-known Christian preacher in the world at that time. And of course, he was right behind number one, the most well-known preacher of that day, of course, was Charles Spurgeon in London, England. Well, on one particular occasion, D.L. Moody was speaking to a very large audience, and he put before his audience this question. Moody held up a very large drinking glass, and he asked his audience, how can I get all of the air out of this glass? Well, one man from the back of the crowd shouted out very loudly, suck it out with an air pump. To which Moody replied, no, no, that would not work at all. That would merely create a vacuum and then shatter the glass. Well, after that response, a number of other responses came out of this large crowd. And none of them, of course, were the right answer. And so Moody smiled and Moody reached down and he picked up a large pitcher of water. And he filled the glass in front of his audience. And Moody said to his audience, There, now all the air has been removed. You see, friends, Moody went on to explain with that little demonstration that victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a little sin here or there, but rather being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Christians, we're going to take our Bibles this morning and we're going to come to Galatians chapter 5. And today, friends, we're looking at one of the premier passages of the New Testament that teaches us what it means exactly to be filled, to be controlled, to be influenced or led by the Holy Spirit. Friends, what Moody told that crowd so many years ago is the truth of Scripture, that to have a victorious Christian life, the way to do that is not by isolating or targeting little individual sins of the flesh here or there, but rather to allow one's whole life to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, if you're just joining us, we've been making a a study of this very powerful letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. This was a group of Christians uh, who were under assault. They were under assault from a group of false teachers. They were these legalistic Jews These Jews were insisting that the only way a person could ever be right with God would be to embrace and practice 
all the religious rules, all the regulations, and all the rituals of Judaism. And unfortunately, sadly, some of these Christian Galatians were listening to that false teaching. They were giving ear to that heresy. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter in order to push back and to again proclaim the truth that salvation is not by works of the law, but salvation is always by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Well, family, this morning we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And this morning, Paul is going to show us how a Christ-honoring life is actually worked out on an everyday kind of basis. And that happens through this commitment of walking or being filled or being led by the Holy Spirit. So friends, as we come to this text, what are the insights here that we need to know about walking in the Spirit? How can you and me experience a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life where fleshly living is being conquered and godliness is gaining the victory. Well, family, today I want us to consider four action steps that we need to embrace for a spirit-filled life. Four action steps we need to embrace for a spirit-filled life. Here's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, obey the command to walk in the Spirit. Number one, obey the command to walk in the Spirit. Look with me now. I know you have your copy of the Scriptures open. Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, friends, two weeks ago when we were here in this chapter, we concluded our time looking at verses 13 to 15. There the Apostle Paul had reminded these Galatian believers that just because... God had freed them from the tight grip of all the ceremonial laws and the religious laws of the Old Testament, well, that didn't mean that these Christians could just live any old way they wanted to live. Remember in verse 13, Paul said, just because Christians have liberty in Christ doesn't mean they should use that liberty as a license to pursue sinful behavior or, or behavior that is displeasing to Jesus. So then, if slavery to the law is not the way forward and sinful fleshly living is not the way forward for the Christian, then what is the way? What is the way? Well, look at verse 16. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, Christians, if we're going to make sense of this statement, there's a couple of things here that we need to digest so that we can truly understand what Paul is giving us here. The first thing we ought to stop and meditate on, family, is this metaphor. There's a picture here. There's a metaphor here that Paul gives us for the Christian life, and it's this metaphor of a walk. Time and again in the New Testament, the Bible often pictures your experience as a Christian as a walk. In fact, if you look in your notes, I've given you a number of other examples from Paul's pen. This is really one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the Christian life, the walk. You know, back in ancient times, friends, there were no cars. You know this. There were no cars, no buses. There's no planes, trains. There's no bicycles. 
people did have some camels. Some people had horses or donkeys, but typically it was only the rich folks that had those. Those were resources owned by the wealthy. So for the average person, the average man or woman, the primary means of transportation in Bible times was you walked, you hoofed it. But even if you walked very slowly, any kind of walking meant progress. Some of you, maybe we could dispatch one or two of you right now and say, we want you to walk to Sheets out on Route 309. Well, maybe by 1 or 2 o'clock you wouldn't be there, but I know one thing, you wouldn't be here anymore. Because simply by just walking, even if you were to walk slowly, you would be making progress. Family, when, tall, when Paul talks about the Christian walking by the Spirit, Paul is talking about this daily step-by-step progress by which the Holy Spirit is leading us or influencing us. It means letting every part of your life, every part of your conduct, your thoughts, your words, your actions, everything is being directed and being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a second thing here we need to understand about Paul's statement in verse 16, and it's this. This is a command. This is a command for the Christian, and it is not a suggestion. In fact, in the original Greek language that Paul spoke and Paul wrote in, this word walk, this verb, is actually an imperative, meaning it's a command. It's a forceful command. It is not just a little hint for living. It is not just a little helpful tidbit of advice. This is a command that is given to all Christians without exception. Now, how can Paul, how can Paul do this? How can Paul make such a forceful command of every single Christian without exception? Well, finally, the answer is because every single Christian without exception has been permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit at the moment he or she exercised believing faith in Jesus Christ. Look in your notes there. I gave you in your bulletin notes this morning, your sermon notes, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Paul says there, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? I also gave you Romans 8.9 there. Romans 8.9 says that all those who belong to Christ have the Holy Spirit indwelling them without exception. So family, what are we saying? Well, what we're saying is that no Christian, no Christian could ever say, well, I just can't seem to walk in the Spirit. It's just not possible for me. I just don't have the spiritual resources. It's just a little beyond my capability. No. No, the Bible says. No, you do have the resources. It is within your capability to walk in the Spirit because the Spirit is residing in you. Christian friend, the very fact that Paul gives this opening statement as a command, the fact that it is given as a command to you and me, is a signal to us that we actually have some choice in the matter. Isn't that interesting? 
We have some choice in this as to whether or not we will choose to obey this command. To indeed walk in the Spirit as the Bible commands us to. So I would ask you this morning, Christian friend, are you obeying this command on a daily basis? Are you seeking to walk by the power and influence of the Holy Spirit? Are you daily submitting yourself to the Spirit's influence of your life, the Spirit's control, the Spirit's direction? Look, this is one of the most helpful, most critical sections of Scripture on Christian living in the whole Bible. That's what we're looking at today. But the only way this passage of Scripture is ever going to help you is if you will humble yourself under this Scripture and commit to obeying it from your heart. So depending less on yourself. Depending less on yourself and more on the Spirit. That is the way to a Christ-honoring life. Now let's move forward. Here's a second action step I want to give you from God's words, a second action step that you need for a spirit-impacted life. Number two, understand the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. Number two, understand the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. Look at verse 17, and we'll also read verse 18. Paul says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Christian friend, when, when you were little, were you, were you one of those kids who used to make a mad dash for your bed, flicking off the light switch? and trying to dive under the covers before the darkness fell? Were you, were you one of those kids? I was for at least a little while. No matter how fast we were, though, isn't it true? No matter how fast you were, you simply could not get under those covers before getting swallowed up by the darkness. You know, in our immaturity, we thought we could do it. In our imma immaturity, we thought we were quick enough to throw the switch and, and make it under the covers. But as we matured, as we grew up, as we learned, we finally learned, didn't we, the properties of both light and darkness. We finally learned that unless light is present to actively push back darkness, well, that's when darkness immediately dominates. Well, Christian friends, look at verse 17 with me. Paul gives us a, some further insights here on why it is so critical that the Christian walk in the Spirit. And that is because this active empowerment of the Holy Spirit, moving, influencing, working in our lives, the Holy Spirit then helps us to push back the darkness of our flesh. You see, friends, our natural tendency is to give in to those darker inclinations. Our natural tendency is to give in to those sinful passions of the flesh. Just like when uh, light isn't present to push back, what happens? Darkness dominates. And so the Bible teaches that sin comes in. Sin dominates. It dominates our lives and our hearts when the Spirit isn't there pushing back against it. Family, look at verse 17. Did you notice how Paul begins verse 17 with the word for, F-O-R? That's an explanation word. 
Paul says, for, he's explaining, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you want to do. You know, family, how often do you and I meet with Christians? Sometimes, some Christians who believe that every time they fall into a sin, every time they succumb to some temptation, how often do Christians say, it was Satan who did it? Oh, that rascally devil got me again. Satan did it. Little kids will say, the devil made me do it. But adults say it too. They want to blame every one of their sins on Satan. But friends, when we study the Bible, it isn't only Satan who gives the believers trouble. In addition to Satan and his demonic hordes, Scripture says you will also be often tripped up secondly by this secular world system. There's a secular, sinful world system that is going away from truth and away from God. And then thirdly, we battle so often and we are often seduced and convinced by, thirdly, our own flesh. Many years ago, Spurgeon called this threesome the unholy trinity. The world, the devil, and our flesh. The unholy trinity. Yes, yes, Satan is real. Satan is our enemy. He's cruel. He's ruthless. Yes, you live in a world system that is dominated by sin. It's a fallen world system. It wants to mold you. It wants to conform you into its mold. But the number one enemy, Christian friend that you face, the number one enemy is not Satan, nor is it this world system. The number one enemy you face, Christian, is looking you in the mirror when you brush your teeth. It's you. You are in a daily struggle against your own fallen, natural, sinful tendencies. Your own fallen humanness to pursue what is sinful, to pursue what is unrighteous. You are, you are inclined to pursue those things rather than what pleases Christ. Maybe you've heard this famous saying before. We have met the enemy, and he is us. You know, that's the truth of the Bible. Look in your notes, James 1.14 in the New Testament. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Family, here in our Galatians 5 text, Paul says that the flesh wars or lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Well, what does that word against convey? The word against conveys opposition, conflict, a battle, or in other words, war. War. Back in Romans chapter 7, the apostle went into great detail about this war that's going on. And well, this war that Paul sees even inside his own being it's a war that every Christian is engaged in daily. Look in your notes. Romans 7, 14. Paul says, For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Skip down a few verses to verse 21. Paul says, I find there to be a law that when I want to do right, 
Evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, look at this next phrase, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Christian friends, you listen really close now. Listen closely. Don't you miss this. The Bible does not teach that there are two natures fighting inside of you. You do not have two natures inside of you at war. One good and one evil. No. It is impossible for you to have two natures. Only one person ever did have two natures, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus had two natures. He had the divine nature as well as the human nature. You do not have two natures. You as a human being only ever have just one nature. Now prior to your faith in Christ, prior to when you became a Christian, you were dominated by your sinful nature. That old self that was so inclined to sin and to do unrighteousness. But that old self, your sinful nature, the Bible says, died with Christ on the cross. Your old sinful self, your old man, your sin nature died with Christ. And the Bible says now you are new. You are new. You've been made alive. You have a new nature. You have a spiritual nature that is alive to Christ. However, that new spiritual nature is residing in an unredeemed, as of yet, unredeemed human body. This unredeemed humanness that hasn't been fully glorified yet, and it won't be until it gets to heaven. So I've got a new nature, a new self, the new man. But it's inside of this unredeemed human body, this broken humanness. And it affects every part of me. My body, my mind, my will, my emotions too. So friends, every day there's this battle going on. You have a new nature and the Spirit is indwelling you. And the Spirit wants to lead your new nature to pursue those things that honor Christ and that are godly, holy, and righteous. But yet... You still have this fallen humanness, this fallen humanness that still wants to be sinful, still wants to be secular, still wants to be selfish. And so look at verse 18. Winning this battle, winning the battle, how do you win it? Is it according to the law? Is it just a matter of following some more religious rules? No. The answer is submitting to the Spirit. Believer, here's a great application for you today. If you want to experience a daily empowerment by the Spirit, well, Christian, you need to realize every day, every day that you wake up and put your feet on the floor, Christian, you are in a war. You are in a war. Your Christian life is a battle. This is wartime. And as a result, Christian, you must conduct yourself daily with a wartime mindset. Every part of your day should be moved through 
with a wartime mindset. Family, two weeks ago, I finished a great book on the Revolutionary War. And in that book, the author described this, this dinner that took place between General George Washington and Mrs. Abigail Adams. Now, George Washington at this time was the commander of our troops. He was General George Washington. He was leading the Continental Army, and the army was up around the Boston area. Well, guess who was from that area? Just a few miles outside of Boston, that's where John Adams was from. And his wife, Abigail, was still there, tending their farm in this little, little town area called Braintree. So Adams and George Washington had known each other from the Continental Congress. And so George Washington came to little, this little farmhouse in Braintree, Massachusetts, to have this meal. Well, George Washington is there, and he's sitting in the little sitting room, their little living room, and he's waiting for the women to say that dinner is ready. And he's waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting. But there's all this noise, all this commotion out in the kitchen. Well, finally, George Washington had waited long enough. And after an eternity of waiting, he gets up and he walks into the kitchen. And you can imagine his shock when in the kitchen he sees Mrs. Abigail Adams and one of the maid girls melting down pewter utensils and pouring the hot metal into some molds to make musket balls. Here was this hot fire where a meal was going to be prepared for George Washington. But this was wartime. This was wartime. And George Washington is here. And not only are we going to use this fire to make him a meal, we're going to send George Washington back with some bullets. And so they went and started to take all the utensils that they thought were little extras, all those pewter utensils, and let's melt them down, and let's make some musket balls, bullets, to send back to George Washington and his men. Christian friend, that's the wartime mindset. You need to carry yourself, Christian, in the wartime mindset. You need to look for those opportunities daily when you can lean in to the influence of the Holy Spirit so that you are not embracing the leadings of your flesh. Listen, can I give you a couple practical ways you can do this? Some practical ways you can, in your everyday life, lean in to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with your morning shower. Don't just stand there. Don't just stand there and wash your hair. Pray. Pray while you're showering. Pray for those needs. Pray for those family members. Pray for those ones who have cancer. Pray for your church family. Pray for your pastor. Don't just stand there. Pray. Don't just drive your car to work. Don't just drive and look mindlessly out the window. Don't just listen to Magic 93. Get a sermon podcast. Listen to the Bible on CD. Listen to a Christian audiobook while you're traveling. Don't just eat lunch. Don't just sit there and eat your lunch. Open your Bible and get some food for your soul while you're there. While you're home at night, don't give every free moment to your tablet or Facebook or Netflix. 
Use that time to pick up your phone and encourage another Christian. Make a meal for someone who's hurting and someone's in need. You say, well, I don't know who that would be. Give me a call. I can tell you who they are. They're everywhere. Instead of just sitting at home every night watching Netflix, join a small group. Better yet, host a small group. Lead a small group. Get involved in some kind of a ministry. Use your time for things that will be influential for the Spirit. Friend, I wanted you to ask yourself today, do I have a wartime mindset? Ask yourself, do I have a wartime mindset? Am I fighting the good fight for Christ in my daily life? Believer, listen, I told you and Paul told you, darkness will fill in and dominate. Sinful, sinful living will fill in and dominate wherever you are not fighting back and pushing back with the light of Christ. So, what will it take for you to embrace a spirit-filled life? Number one, on the screen, obey the command to walk in the spirit. Number two, understand this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Here's the third step, number three. See the contrast between fleshly and spiritual living. See the contrast between fleshly and spiritual living. We'll read now verses 19 through 23. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions and dissensions and heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Friends, we're coming to this famous passage here where Paul is setting the works of the flesh against the fruit of the Spirit. But we need to remember something here, friends, that this scripture doesn't just stand alone. This, this passage of these famous verses doesn't stand all by itself like, like verses on a refrigerator magnet or a wall calendar. This passage of Scripture has a context. It's important to remember that context as we step through these two lists, the lists of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, these Galatians, the Galatians were being told by these Jewish false teachers, the only way you can honor God, the only way you can please God is to do all the rules, regulations, and rituals of Judaism. But throughout this whole letter, Paul says no. Paul says no. He pushes back. People are not redeemed. They're not made right with God by their own performance of religion, but by trusting Jesus Christ and his performance on the cross. So family, what follows here in verses 19 to 21 are Paul's five categories of the sins that people fall into. They try to give themselves to religion, but no matter how hard they try, they find themselves incapable of breaking free of these sins. So let's just look at them. I'll just mention them quickly. We could divide them up into five categories of sins. You see the categories? Look at them. Sexual sins is the first one. Sexual sins, Paul talks about adultery, fornication, that is outward sexual immorality, uncleanness, that's a word that means moral uncleanness, both inwardly, outwardly. 
thoughts, words, deeds. The next one there is lewdness. That's a word that means sexual excess and indecency put on public display. That's the first category, sexual sins. The next one is religious sins, right? Religious sins. Idolatry. That's the worship of anything but God. Sorcery and witchcraft are next. That's attempts to get spiritual power apart from God. Next one you see, the next category is societal sins. The relationship sins. That's the next category. Look at the list there. Hatred, contentions or hostilities, jealousies, outbursts of anger. In other words, fits of rage, explosive rage, selfish ambitions. That's abusing people to get what you want. Dissensions, that's divisions and heresies, that's all kinds of divisions over teachings, envy and jealousy over what other people have, even to the point of killing them. Look at the next category, intemperate sins. Intemperate sins, these are personal sins that show a lack of self-control, like drunkenness, drinking parties, revelries, where the whole purpose is to get together and just, man, just break loose, man. Just, just, just go wild. But notice, family, not only does Paul, did you see this? Paul not only lists the five categories of these sins, he also gives a reminder of this warning. Look at this. This warning to the Galatians. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yikes. Whoa, man, that really makes Christians pause for a second. Does this mean... Does this mean that if a person has, even a Christian, does this mean if they've ever gotten drunk? Or if they've ever been insanely jealous of someone? Or if they've ever had illicit sex? Or if they've ever stomped on someone to get their own way? Does that mean that I'm permanently excluded from the kingdom of God? Is that what that means? Well, the answer is no. No, that's not what Paul's saying here. We know what the scripture teaches in places like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. God is to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you're a true Christian, then you have confessed those heinous sins to Christ, haven't you? The sins of your past, you've confessed sin You've looked to Christ for forgiveness of sins, and Jesus has forgiven you. And by the power of the Spirit, you're repentant over those sins, and you're turning away from those sins. You don't want to do those sins anymore. Jesus died for those things. He saved you from those things. You don't want them anymore. That's a, that's a spirit of repentance. So family, the key word for us here in verse 21 is the word practice. Practice. This is a verb that means to keep on practicing. This is a verb in the present tense. This is a person who continues to keep on practicing these things. This is the person who continues to persist in such corrupt, sinful living. This is the person who blatantly, openly, continually, willfully, actively, with no repentance with no regard for God, no regard for His truth, Scripture says that is the person who is never coming into the kingdom of God. Why? Because by their own continual behavior, they prove that they're an unbeliever. Family, those are the qualities of the unbeliever. 
that list of all those sins, those five categories of sins. So what are the marks of the true believer? Well, you know them. You know them. These are familiar to you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, against such there is no law. In other words, John MacArthur explains it this way. When a Christian walks by the Spirit and manifests this fruit, he needs no external law to produce those attitudes and behaviors that please God. Here were these false teachers, right? So hung up on the law. You've got to do all these rules, all these regulations. That's the way to be right with God. Paul says, no, no. The true follower of God believes on Christ by faith. And they're then empowered from within. It's not about external laws and rules. It's the Holy Spirit within bursting forth in everyday life that brings out this fruit that pleases Jesus. Friend, I hope you'll take a moment even right now and look at the evidences of your own life. Would you do that today, friend? Would you stop and look at the outcomes? Would you think about some of the actions the outcomes, the fruits of your life over the past seven days. Now, I wasn't with you for the past seven days, but I know someone who was there. You were. You were there all seven days. What did you see? What did you see in your own life? Was your life full of things off of that first list the fleshly lusts the things contrary to Christ or over the past seven days did you see what was on that second list the spirit empowered the spirit directed fruits that bring glory and honor to Jesus friend listen to me what a soul destroying tragedy it would be for you to spend your whole life thinking that you were a Christian and you really weren't. If an apple tree never gives apples, it isn't an apple tree. Friend, I want you to examine your life today. Perhaps today is the day you need to repent of your sins Perhaps today is the day you genuinely need to come to Christ. Friend, only by knowing Christ, only by having His indwelling Spirit in you, will you ever produce that list of fruits that Paul gives. Friend, if God is speaking to your heart today with conviction, oh friend, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Don't squelch it. Act upon it. Act on it today. Repent of your sins, confess your sins, and come to Christ. Dear friend, don't you rest until you are absolutely confident that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your sins are forgiven and you see these Spirit-empowered fruits in your everyday life. Friend, if you have questions about that, if you're not sure where you are with Jesus, oh friend, come and talk to me. You come and talk to one of our deacons. Talk to any one of our praise team leaders up here. We would love to talk to you, pray with you, encourage you, and point you to Jesus.
So, family, how do we have a spirit-filled life? We've answered that question so far with three answers, haven't we? But let me give you a fourth. Number four, pursue the change of a crucified life. Number four, action step four, pursue the change of a crucified life. Verse 24 of our text, Paul says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Family, is there anything more repulsive than when a person wears a dirty undershirt for a second day in a row? Isn't that awful? I mean, isn't that just awful? Now, can I make a confession? I wore a dirty undershirt to church last Sunday. And I'm so sorry. I, I sincerely apologize to those of you who gave me a hug after church last week, of which you got a double shot of my Old Spice deodorant. I had to put on a double layer to make up for the dirty shirt. Now listen, some of your, your mind is already turning. You're saying, that Heather, what a terrible wife. No, no, it was not her. I don't blame my wife. She's taking care of the lives of six kids and all of their craziness. All my undershirts got washed. They just didn't make it to the dryer before Sunday morning. So there I was, standing in my room with my dress pants on, shirtless, last Sunday morning, the president of my alma mater coming to speak here, and I reached down into the dirty clothes pile, and I put that dirty T-shirt back on. And we, we all just cringe. We hear that. We know that's just wrong. Christian friends, would you look with me at verse 24? The Apostle Paul wants every believer to know it's just as wrong. It is just as wrong for you, believer, to go back to all of your old sinful passions, your sinful desires, after you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, so often when we read the word crucifixion in the New Testament, it almost always has to do with Jesus. But there's just four times in the Bible where the crucifixion word isn't talking about Jesus. It's talking about someone else. And here, family, it's talking about us. Look at it. Verse 24, the crucifying isn't something that Christ is participating in here, but something that we are participating in here. Paul says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, for the person who's a true follower of Jesus, we have something to do. There's an active part for you and I to play in this spirit-empowered life. We're engaged in this. There's something for us to do, and that is treating our old sinful habits, lives, thoughts, patterns as good as dead. So what is our aim? Not to resurrect those old dying things. No. We are to let those dying things die. We are not to keep persisting in the flesh anymore. We are to make progress in the Spirit. 
Look at verse 25. If we live, or Paul really could say, since we live, since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I like that word walk. It's not the same word back from verse 16. This word in verse 25, the word walk, has the idea here of getting in line, marching in step, like soldiers marching in step with their commander. I like how the NIV gives this verse. Some of the other translations have it this way too. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's the NIV of verse 25. I like that. Here's the application for you, Christian. Here's the significance. Living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, this week means you will let dying things die as it relates to all those old sinful habits, all those old sinful behaviors, all those old sinful practices. You let dying things die. Temptations to view pornography, let them die. Temptations to gossip about some church people, let them die. Temptations to find satisfaction in alcohol, prescription drugs, let them die. Temptations to be selfish. Temptations to always get what I want. Temptations to be angry, to lose my cool with my spouse, with my kids. Those temptations, let them die. Don't resurrect those old sins, Christian. Step on their neck once and for all and let them die. Don't let them dominate you anymore. Instead of marching to their little tune, no, no, no. Now you incline your ear to the Spirit. You march in lockstep with what the Spirit is leading you to do. Oh, friend, how your Christian life would change even this week. How your Christian life would be filled with so much more victory, so much more power, so much more joy. How your family life would change. How your marriage would change. How your work life would change. How your church relationships would change. If you would just look at verse 26 and pursue the change of the crucified life. Friend, what joy, what hope would come pouring into your life as those old things finally pass away and the new things come. The new things, the God-pleasing things, the Christ-honoring things, the Spirit-empowered things. Family, as we draw this message to a close, my desire is that you'll go away today with a greater motivation and greater insights on how to have a dynamic and daily walk with Christ where the Holy Spirit is having more influence and more control and more power in your life and your sinful flesh is having less and less. Christians, if we were to make a short list of the most important themes, the most practical themes that Paul shares in Galatians, well, this text we looked at this morning would certainly be at the top of the list. So Christians, you're going to a new week now. Take these four action steps that we've looked at today and take them with you. Embrace them by the Holy Spirit's help. Obey the command to walk in the Spirit. Understand the conflict. Understand the war between the Spirit and your flesh. See the contrast. What that living really looks like. Sinful living, fleshly living versus spiritual living. 
And then pursue that change. Pursue the change of the crucified life. Christian, do you want a dynamic walk with Jesus? Do you want more of the Spirit's influence daily and less of your sinful flesh? These are the steps. These are the things to pursue by the Spirit's help. So Christian, pray on these things this week. Pray on these things and then pursue them. You remember that famous analogy from Dwight L. Moody's sermon, The Filling of the Glass? Take that with you this week, Christian. The only way you are going to experience less and less of your sinful flesh is for you to be filled up more and more with the influence of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. This preaching for a change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.